Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, but not if we're stressed out and exhausted. Looking at food, lifestyle, spirituality, and work, the Plan Simple Podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier and happier future. Listen in for inspirational conversations and valuable strategies to plan for your best life. Hey y'all, welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. I am so excited to have our guest Bonnie Harris on today. I met her through my friend Natalie Munchenko, who was also on the podcast. We will link up to her podcast episode in the show notes. And she just told me that this is her go-to gal for everything parenting. And Natalie's a wise woman, so I listened to her and I reached out to Bonnie and wait until you hear what she has to share. She is definitely a wise woman on parenting. So I'm going to get into her official bio in a sec, but I just have two quick announcements. Number one, if you're listening to this in real time, this coming Tuesday is our open house for Flow 365. During this pretty short open house, I'm going to go through and show you what the back end looks like of Flow 365. I'm going to show you what a sample um, session looks like when we're all together. I'm just going to show you all the different parts so you can see like how it would look and feel and be like in your own life. Um, just to help you make a choice if it's something that you want to, you're thinking about applying for. So that's happening on Tuesday. And then number two, which might maybe should have been number one is the fact that Flow 365 is open for applications. You can go read all about it if you want to do some detective work before Tuesday. You can go to plansimplemeals.com slash flow hyphen 365. And there I sort of lay it all out on a page. There's a video and there's a lot of different places where you can press a button that will allow you to apply. Um, And I'm really loving reading the applications that are coming in. I love getting to know you guys better. And so if you even have the littlest inclination that this could be a good thing for you, I highly recommend filling out the application because that means that then we get to hop on the phone and we get to chat and I get to know you and we get to figure out whether this is a good fit for you. And I'm really excited to see who is going to show up for this new next cohort, um, which starts sooner rather than later. All right. So Bonnie, I want to tell you officially about Bonnie. Bonnie is a parenting and child behavior specialist. She speaks and teaches internationally and is the author of two books. She has designed and taught parenting workshops and counseled parents for more than 25 years. She holds a master's degree in early education from Bank Street College in New York City and works with the connective parenting philosophy, which allows parents to understand where their children are coming from, both developmentally and temperamentally, and respond with appropriate expectations. And you will hear how this unfolds today for sure. Bonnie lives in New Hampshire with her husband and is the mother of two grown children and grandmother to three little ones. And she shares a lot. She shares a lot actually about a workbook she has as well so that we can go deeper into all this. I'm actually thinking of doing that work a little bit this spring. I find as I do all these interviews and there's going to be a couple more actually on parenting in the next month, um, I, I feel it's really fun to dive into this material a little bit deeper. So check us out. Check me out on Instagram. Check out Plan Simple Meals on Instagram and follow along because if I'm doing anything and I'm inviting, I would love to invite you guys to do it with me um, and I will put it all there. So Plan Simple Meals on Instagram. And with no further ado, let's get Bonnie on the show. 
Hi, Bonnie. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Mia. How are you? I'm thrilled to be here. I'm good. Um, as we're recording, I have three kids sitting quietly upstairs, so I'm hoping to get a lot of strategies for what will happen if they come down. But um, <laughs> I'll guide you right through that. Be assured. Yeah. <laughs> I, I fully walk my talk for everyone listening. So um, I am so excited to have you here because I love getting parenting experts on the show from time to time, just because I think as we're really figuring out how to lead healthy lives and do the work we want to do and all this stuff, and we have kids, um, it's just that it's, it's the thing at the end of the day that we can feel bad <laughs> about how we're parenting and just having tools that really, um, I guess, support the way that we're trying to show up in the world as a parent, I just think is so helpful. So I'm so happy you're here. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, you know, when I ask parents how they feel about their parenting, unfortunately, it seems like by far the majority go to bed every night feeling terrible. Mm. There just shouldn't be, you know? I, I think we get ourselves so worked up about not being perfect and we miss opportunities yeah. of just connecting with our kids when we're so worried about what we should do and shouldn't do. And so it'd be nice if we could alleviate a little bit of pressure on a few parents today. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's funny in the, in the flow planner, which is the planner I created, we have a little thing every day that's, um, a question of how can I connect with someone I love? And everyone always assumes I'm talking about the spouse. Oh, yes. <laughs> very often I'm talking about just like pick a friend, pick your kid. And like, right. what's just one way that you can, before the day even starts, just know that you're going to connect with that child today if you have more than one. Um, and it's been so powerful for me. That's great. Uh, yeah. It's, okay, so yeah. let's talk about, let's dive in. I'm trying to think of where we're going to dive in. Um, where's your favorite place to dive in? Let's start where you start. Oh, I have all these questions. Absolutely but. anywhere. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Well, let's start with this. We were talking a little bit before we pressed record about this notion of maybe parents being too overly involved and possibly that leading to more of that discontent um, than content uh, and how maybe parents don't take as good care of themselves as we should. So we let's, let's start with that as our, our kickoff. Well, that's really where my, where my work is heading right now is in helping parents. And unfortunately I have to say, learn how to let go mm. <clears throat> because it, it feels, you know, when the, Letting go for a parent, I think for so many, feels like, uh, all right, now I'm cutting the rope and I'm letting this little boat drift out to sea to fend for itself. And that's not what letting go is about. Right. It's really about letting go of that voice in our heads that's telling us that we're doing it, that we're not good enough, that we're doing everything wrong. And that's, a, that's my, you know, I wrote this book called When Your Kids Push Your Buttons. And that's what that is all about. It's, it's about 
really taming that voice in your head and reframing what you're telling yourself every day, all day long. And where those voices came from in our past, it's not when our kids push our buttons, it's not, it's, it's not a problem with our kids. It's a problem with us. They wouldn't be pushing our buttons if those buttons weren't there to be pushed. Mm, I love that. They belong to us and they come, they're not our fault. They're not anybody's fault. They're just, they've been there for a very long time. And so we need to learn how to identify them and then realize that it's from them that we're getting these messages in our heads about, I'm not good enough. I, I'm a terrible parent. I should never have had kids. I feel out of, I'm out of control. I don't know what to do. I never can make any decisions. All those things that are just constantly up there and how to really grab a hold of them and realize that they are our perceptions, they are our assumptions, our judgments about our kids too. You know, this, what am I going to do with this kid? He's so mean. He, this, she never picks up anything. They never listen. They, all of these things are judgments. They're not facts. Right. And, so, and, and a lot of times I feel like the solution that we think of doesn't really, we're not in control of, right? Right, right. <laughs> we put it on them. Because, because those ideas we have, those perceptions we have, lead to our emotions. That It's our thinking that provokes our emotions. And that's, you know, feeling overwhelmed, feeling frustrated, depressed, helpless, all of these feelings that come from our own head, not from our kids, not from our circumstances, our own heads. And then they lead to our reactions and it all happens in a nanosecond. And that then we, ha- then we react in ways we know is not effective, we regret it, and then, then we're down that spiral of I'm a terrible parent. Yep. And it's right back again. Is there an example that like uh, that comes up the most in your work? Just because I figure our audiences are similar, so I was thinking, you know, kids not listening, or yeah. th- there's nothing that comes up most frequently. Well, I I think kids not listening is a big one. They ju- they just refuse to listen. Okay, so can we use? I was thinking maybe we could have an example, like think of an example of how we could turn that around. So a kid not listening pushes a button. So a kid not listening, and and let me first say, yeah, okay. So a kid not listening pushes that button. And if I have a button left over from my childhood, say, because of the messages I took in from my parents, that, um, that I'm not important, say. Okay. I was not important. My parents never asked me my opinion of things. I never got to make decisions for myself. Nobody really paid that much attention to what I thought about or what was important to me. So I felt kind of invisible. I felt unimportant. We'll use that as an example. So then when I tell my children to do something and they don't, my assumption is they're not listening to me. And that triggers that place in me that feels unimportant. 
Mm. See? And so, boom, I react. Whereas if that wasn't my button, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that same reaction. I probably wouldn't even be thinking my children don't listen to me. Okay. And so as a parent with that, let's just keep going with that example. What can I do in that? You know, what, what is, where do I catch myself? What's my next step? So you're not going to catch yourself in the moment. Yep. At least to begin with, you're going to react. So you think your child is not listening to you and you start yelling or screaming or take away a privilege or do something like that. And then it's afterwards, right? After you've calmed down, because in that moment, your brain is emotionally flooded, right? Your prefrontal cortex that would help you think through the situation is completely unavailable to you. Yep. In that moment, you're emotionally flooded. You cannot think. You, you shouldn't try to do anything figure it out. And it's certainly a terrible time when children are emotionally flooded to try to get them to reason. It's just the wrong time. So you wait. And when your emotions have come down, you start with, well, I didn't like that reaction. I yelled again. I swore I was not going to yell at my kids anymore. And I yelled. Okay. So Write that down on a piece of paper. I yelled. So how was I feeling? That's usually easier to come up with than what was I thinking. So how was I feeling? I was feeling enraged. I was feeling unappreciated. I was feeling put upon. I was feeling ignored. Okay, so you make a list of the things that you were feeling. Then you ask yourself the question, if I was feeling that way, what must I have been thinking at the time of the incident? What must I have been thinking that caused me to feel that? Mm. And then you come up with something like, and this is, this is, of course, the hard part. This is, it's hard to come up with the assumptions that we make. But then you would come up with something like, my kids never listen to me. They never pay attention. They don't appreciate what I do for them, right? These are all, these are all very typical things, but we don't think about them. We don't, we, it's very hard to identify them. So, you know, I have a workbook that goes along with my book that has these exercises that helps you put this all in, and you know, in different orders and figure it all out. So, all right. So you've come to my children never listen to me. Um, I, they don't pay any attention to me. And that's what causes me to be furious. It would cause anyone to feel furious, right? Yep. So then, though, then you say, all right, if I'm thinking that way, what am I going to do about that? So my children never listen to me. Let's go with that as you brought that up. What is, is that a fact? No. It's not a fact. There are plenty of times your children listen to you. 
<laughs> right? Yep. When is it that your children don't listen to you? I always, I always say, if your kids aren't listening, they don't like what they're hearing. Yep. And who wants to listen when they're being yelled at or demanded or criticized or once again for the umpteenth time that day being told what they have to do? Yep. With no ifs, ands, or buts. So, of course, they're going to turn what I call parent deaf. So, what you want to do is get that my children never listen to me into something more factual. So, you might reframe that into uh, the facts of the situation. I just told my kids to get off the computer and come to the dinner table. Yep. Those are the facts. And that's going to help me understand them better. Well, of course they didn't want to do that. So then you, then you can see that that's really, if I, can un, if I can look at the agendas going on here, my agenda is I want my kids at the dinner table. Their agenda is to keep playing on the computer. And that doesn't mean that one agenda trumps the other. It just means that can I be a little more considerate of what's going on for them? So if I can think, well, of course they don't want to stop playing their game and come to the table, then I'm going to have a little more compassion for them. It's not going to be, when I'm in my head with my assumptions, with my, um, my button-pushing thinking, it's all about me. It's what right. I want, what they're not doing that I want. They're not listening to me. They're not following my agenda. They're inconveniencing me. It's all about me. Right. So what we want to do is switch that to understanding what's going on with them. So if they're being told to get off their computer, then they're not going to like hearing that. It doesn't mean my kids never listen to me. Right. So then I'm going to just kind of be able to drop down and have consideration for their agenda. Does that mean they can stay on their computer and not come to dinner? Absolutely not. Right. What it means is that I'm going to approach them with a very, very different attitude. Right. So I'm going to say, I'm going to go in. Maybe I'm going to look at what they're doing. Maybe, and if I know they're on the computer, I'm going to build in a little time here before they've, you know, maybe I haven't put the hot food on the table yet or whatever. I'm going to yep. realize it's going to take a little time. I'm going to go in, look at what they're doing, maybe participate for a couple of minutes. And then I'm going to say, okay, guys, can you get to a stopping place now? Because it's time for dinner. And uh, it's time for this um, session for you on the computer to be done. Uh, how soon can you just turn it off and come to dinner? Yep. They're going to respond very differently. They're still going to groan and moan, oh, mom, I'm not hungry. 
yeah, well, that's okay. You don't have to eat. It's just time to sit at the table with us, and, and it's time to be off the computer now. Yep. And you're not yelling and screaming because you're not in that head of thinking my children never listen to me. Yep. I love that. And because uh, the next thing I was going to move into was your idea of unconditional acceptance, which is what that is, right? We're accepting exactly where they're at in that moment. Right. And it's accepting where exactly they are at in that moment, as well as who they are. Yes. We're always trying to get our children to change. And if we have, and I know this from personal experience, if we have a particularly difficult child, someone who is much more demanding and will not be told uh, what to do and will not take no for an answer and is very, very self-possessed and, and I can go into a whole thing. I have a whole theory about these two types of kids mm. that has been very helpful to a lot of parents, but I came by this from my own two kids, one of, one of whom was extremely easy and pleasant and just made me feel like a wonderful mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I truly thought, well, I obviously have this down. Yeah. I don't know what people are complaining about. And then came number two. <laughs> and four and a half years later came my daughter. I had a son, and then the, the, my daughter came along. And she was great as an infant. But man, at, as soon as she started walking, it was like, I don't know, invasion of the body snatchers or something. It was like, where did my darling little baby go? <laughs> and she just, she just didn't want to do anything. She was very happy being a baby, but boy, she didn't want to walk. She didn't, she was, um, she just was extremely stubborn. She's now 36 years old and she is one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met. Mm. And so I speak, I can come at this whole problem of the quote-unquote difficult child and know the importance of acceptance and letting go to allow that child to blossom fully, which she has. And um, <clears throat> so it's learning how to work out the relationship because my whole point of view about parenting is that it's it's about relationship it's not about what you have to teach your children how polite you are going to get them to be how respectful you have to train them to be it's not about teaching it's about relationship yep well and because we have so much to learn <laughs> I feel like they, they reflect all those things back on us. Oh, my God. Right? On a daily what, basis. Yeah, that's what we forget about, how much we can learn from them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, it's how I kind of end the Buttons book is <laughs> when you are, you get to that choice point when your button gets pushed. Either you can yell at your child or punish your child for pushing your button and you can, if you are willing, 
to work hard enough in that direction, you can get your children to be perfectly minding little, you know, like I was. Very perfect child, you know, who doesn't talk back and doesn't all of that. But who wants that? Right. Who wants that kind of a child? It's easy. Grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, So your choice point is either I can punish my child to get him to stop pushing my button, or I can look at my button and learn what my child has to teach me. Yep. Your child, you will never have a more powerful teacher in your life than your child. Yep. And when we're able to do that and really work that out, then we move into relationship with our kids. And a connected relationship is the number one preventative measure of anything that any parent is afraid of happening to their child. Yes. It's not the only, but it's the number one. Yeah. No, I so agree with that. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So that brings us back to letting go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so all of this, so the thing that I can hear ringing in people's, you know, I feel like all of this sounds so amazing and who doesn't want that kind of relationship, right? Like that's right. what we all want deep down inside. <laughs> we don't yeah. want to be the yelling person. Right. And so, but it sounds like a little bit of work and then, you know, we're like, but we're already maxed out. That's why That's right. we are where we are. So how do we approach this in a way that like, cause I feel like that idea of it's all about them just makes us feel like then we're giving up ourselves. And I know that's not what you think. So let's no. go back to what this, this, this can look like. Cause I feel like what we're really needing to do and what I know you think we should do is take better care of ourselves. That's so let's right. look at that side of it that's a little, right. just to see how this balances out. So let's go forward a bit and then back up to taking care of ourselves. So okay. your goal as a parent is to be able to work in relationship with your child, which means problem solving. It's what you do with anybody. It's what corporations bring in specialists to learn how to do. Right. Because we're not taught how to do it when we're children. We grow up being told what to do and being punished if we don't mind. And so what I'm trying to get parents to do is to problem solve with their children, which basically means I want A, you want B. How do we come up with an agreement so we both get what we want? Mm. So it's, this is, and it's, and it's being able to say, this is not okay with me. Right, and having that boundary. It is not okay with me that you're throwing things in the house. It is not okay with me that you're speaking to me like that. It is not okay with me that you are not following this agreement that we made, right? So you would it's what you would think about in any relationship with anyone. Right. So this is not okay with me. So we need to make an agreement that works for both of us. It's not ignoring the child, and it is by far not ignoring me. Now, I find that this is really, really, really hard for parents to do because you need to have 
self-confidence to be able to say, all right, this needs to work for me too. I'm not giving up. I'm not sacrificing all my time and effort and thinking for you. I'm in this too. This is a relationship between both of us. I am going to do for you what I want and choose to do for you. Not because I feel trapped. Not because I feel like if I don't, you're going to fall apart and everybody's going to think I'm a terrible parent. And it's interesting because that, I, my guess is a big button and I have a feeling it's a big button for my listeners because, you know, I have a lot of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial moms and working moms who listen to this podcast and are very much trying to balance it all. And I feel like because our society, you know, a lot of times the woman is who stays home, that's a button, right? And so all of a sudden we don't treat, I love you said if we treated this like a business, we would never make half the choices we make. And I love just that lens because then all of a sudden it's okay to analyze what's going on and mm -hmm. to make agreements. And because this is what you would do if it was your job, which it is. Right. But we have been brought up in our society for eons as women to sacrifice for our children. Yeah. And, and we tend to, I mean, um, we tend to put our needs, if anything, if they're on the page at all, they're at the bottom, bottom, bottom of the list. Yes. And so then we end up in resentment. And I wonder how many of the listeners today can say that you get to that place where you are resenting the hell out of your child because you're not getting your needs met. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing almost everyone, especially in terms of this this work piece, right? Because because right. so many people are balancing these two things and have these very big missions in the world, and it's like always a choice between you know mission or or family, right? And and uh, you know, I work with moms who are who stay at home with their kids, and they can't stand it, and they get yeah. so you know, so frustrated with these, you know, little kid minds, of course, that that's who you talk to all day long. Yeah. And then, you know, husband or partner comes home from work. They've been, even though they may have had a hard day, they've been talking reasonably with adults all day long. Yes. And so, you know, figuring out whether you are best to stay, what, if you have the luxury of the choice, yep. you are best to stay at home with your kids or best not to stay at home with your kids. And I think an awful lot of parents, well, the guilt goes both ways. Yeah. A lot of parents feel guilty that they're not home, so they stay home with their kids when they really should be at work because work is what feeds you, the parents. Yeah. And if it, if it doesn't, then, then you might, if work is not feeding you, if it's just constantly draining you, then it's really not giving you that boost that you need to um, find that balance between you and your child. In order to have that balance where you are in a connected relationship, 
you need to take care of your needs just as much as your children's needs. Yeah. Needs are no more or no less important than yours. I love that. And I think that this word self-care has gotten such a weird rap in our world that it means like somehow going and getting your hair done and getting a pedicure. But I was speaking with someone the other day and it was like work was self-care. Like actually doing grown-up work for eight hours a day was like the best thing she could have given herself because she needed that adult conversation. And that is self-care. That is exactly right. Right. So it can be anything from, you know, going to work to carving out some of every day that is doing something just for you. Yeah. You know, for some people it's meditating. For some people it's going for a walk. For some people it's having coffee with a friend. For some people it's just going someplace where you can be quiet. Yeah. And it's, it's just really important that you know that that is as critically important as getting your child a nutritious meal. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, I mean, I feel like we all have our moments, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I know this now and I'm lucky to be able to practice it on a pretty regular basis. Right. But even I have my days, right? Where all of a sudden you fall back into that martyr mom moment right. and you have to make the choice again. I feel like it's almost like you have to wake up every day and make this choice. And what's so, what the thing that I always catch myself on is because, you know, my kids aren't grown yet. So I have three and my, my oldest is 15 as a boy. And then I have a 13 year old and a 10 year old girl. And what's, I just always go back to actually both of them. It's kind of like, I don't want them to ever think that they would not live their life. Right. And if I don't model that, then how would they ever know that later in life, they're not just supposed to, you know, fit in this box? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We've got to think of ourselves as models. We need to be the type, not the person, but the type of person we hope our children to grow up to be like. Yeah. And if we're screamers, guess what? They'll be screamers. They'll be screamers. Yeah. Or it's harder to break the cycle. I feel like. And if you do the buttons work, you are, you are breaking that cycle. Yeah. And uh, another uh, colleague uh, of mine said, made the quote once, empty your, uh, empty your bags so your children don't have to carry them. Yeah. It's such a perfect, um, Lou Hanesian said that, and it's such a perfect uh, metaphor. You know, it's kind of like the wonderful metaphor of the oxygen masks on the airplane. They make sure that you put yours on before you put one on your child. Yeah. And how, how hard is that? If you think you're crashing in an airplane, you've got to put yours on first, right? Yeah. You've got to take care of you first. The other thing <clears throat> that I read in an article just recently was if you're on an airplane and the turbulence is getting really, really bad and you're starting to get anxious, what do you do? You look at the steward or the stewardess. And if they're calm, you calm right down. Yeah. And the same is true with parents and kids. If your children are anxious and nervous and scared about something, 
your anxiety is only going to feed that. If you're yes. calm, then they can calm down. Yeah, and that's interesting because we actually recently, I was thinking I haven't had talked parenting in a while, but we actually just had someone named Jill Hope on a couple weeks ago. And she talked about a different situation, which was a child sort of feeling that she she was bullied and she talks back to that same button work so it's like in your example we as the parent were actually screaming but there's so much of it is just what the story we bring to a situation that is probably hard for our kids but then we add this whole layer of story and come and make it worse yeah right? like us going in and breaking stuff up and whatnot isn't always the thing. Sometimes it's that a button in us is being pushed. And that was her suggestion is to go back and look at your experience with somebody being mean to you. And that a lot of times it's just you healing that is all you need to do and show up strong. That's right. And I love that. Yeah. So and much more empowering. Sometimes that is easy to do. And sometimes it takes a lot of work. Yeah. Depending on, depending on where it all came from in the first place and how often that message got imprinted. But it also, it also is such an important, um, when you do the work yourself, you see how important it is not to pass this on to your kids so that they don't get these messages from us that are completely unintentional from our point of view. Yep. But they land on a child's very, very, very immature brain as fact. I'm not good enough. I'm bad. Mommy doesn't love me. Yeah. <clears throat> and those can be can be healed in a, you know, in the next moment, or they can come consistently enough so they live with us for life if we never pay attention to them because they become our story. They become our story about who we are. Oh, I'm, I'm somebody who's never good at this sort of, thing, you know, or I can't ever do this or I'm not smart enough or, you know, our stories. Okay. So I feel like we can all, you know, we can all use that tool of when a button gets pushed to come back at it calmly you know, maybe later in the night after the kids go to bed or whatever, and and really analyze it. I love that that tool. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like you also gave us the tool that was sort of in that, but then also you can use it separately of just meeting kids where they are in a moment and taking that extra time. Mm -hmm. You know, you give the example of before dinner to really understand where somebody is before you're transitioning. So I feel like that works pretty much in any transition at any age, right? It's like earlier they might be playing with Legos or getting out of bed or getting exactly. dressed before school and later it's about the cell phone. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's being considerate of their agenda, no matter what their agenda is, no matter how much you disagree with it or think it's trivial, yep. it's being considerate as you are in a relationship with someone. You yep. know? And, and so, and then are there, is there any other tool that maybe isn't even them focused that you recommend just sort of starting with, as you say, doing the work, like what is, what is something that we could all do today, whether that situation arises or not? The button pay, attention. pay attention. That's the first thing. So much of the time we react, 
we hate it and we move on and we don't we don't even look at it you know it's just mm-hmm. that's the way i am that's the way my kids are Ugh, oh my god so paying attention doesn't take any more time it just takes headspace it takes getting in the practice of mm-hmm. oh look at that i reacted in that way i really don't want to do that and what did that reaction how did that land on my child and and just being able to see oh god we could go into so many more layers of all of this <laughs> <laughs> being able to see that your child's reaction to you comes from your reaction to your child and it's this snowball effect right yeah. so paying attention uh, what what got me to that point where i was screaming why did i do that i did that because of a fear of some kind mm-hmm. what was that so ask yourself when you react in a way that you don't like ask yourself what was what was i afraid of Okay. And and in that observing, I would gather that you could even just be doing this, like there's always something, because that idea of clearing headspace is actually really important to me because yeah. I feel like as we clear that headspace, it opens us up to ideas of how we want to be spending our time or, you know, what we want to creatively do this summer or what we want to make for dinner. You know, I just feel mm-hmm. like we spe- we we hold a lot in our heads that actually gives us that feeling of overwhelm. Yes. So I love the idea that like, you know, this doesn't take extra headspace, but I actually think that that work clears headspace because we can hold those things in our head for weeks and months and years. And Um, those voices in our head saying, oh, there you go. You just didn't do it right again. What is wrong with you? You are just hopeless. That's, that's headspace that if it could be cleared out, would make room for so many more positive ways of doing things. Yeah. You know, and thinking, giving you that. You know, the other thing is priorities. It's very, it's very hard for parents to, to make this kind of work a priority. Yep. When laundry is piling up, when, when you don't have anything for dinner, there are so many day-to-day things that have to get done that we think is taking up all of our time. And thinking about doing this work is about, I don't have time for this. I can't take time to do this. And it really doesn't, once you start to get into it, you realize that Maybe in the very beginning, it takes a little bit of time, but as soon as you start paying attention and changing the way you're reacting, you are going to save so much time because you're not going to get into power struggles with your children anymore. You're going to have a much more cooperative relationship. That doesn't happen overnight. So you've got to prioritize a little bit of time, but for the most part, it's headspace. It really is. And you can do it on the go. And so, and we haven't really gotten into, you know, I feel like our listeners are largely 
moms. And we haven't really gotten into how this works together. Do you feel like this is work that each person does separately in a relationship or it's something that you do together, you could do together in bed after the kids go to bed? Like how, how does it work as a couple? Yeah. If you have the luxury of your partner being on board with you, absolutely do it together. Oh my God. It's, it's just, everything just speeds up when you can do that, when you can talk to each other about how to do this and, and say to each other at the end of the day, oh man, I blew it. And I think this may be what was going on. And then your partner might have a much more objective view and say, I wonder if this was going on for you. If you can be on board with that together, that's fabulous. But boy, you know, I work with so many mothers, particularly whose husbands are on the opposite end of the spectrum. They don't want to have anything to do with this. Their kids are not listening and their kids have to pay and they're not going to do any of this. You're just being so lenient and you're letting your kids walk all over us. And it's just, you know, it's, it's very frustrating for so many parents I work with. But the interesting thing is, is that a lot of times I would imagine in sort of, you know, when parents aren't agreeing, the, we we come at it with such different belief systems from our our family yes. of origin, right? So you know, pretty amazing when they do agree. Trips up one person, whereas another thing trips up another person. That's right. I've had couples who've done the buttons work say this is the best therapy we've ever had. Right. So if you can do this buttons work with uh, with the workbook and the, all of that as a couple, oh my god, it's it's fabulous. And you've just got to say, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing that we spend our time doing? Okay. So tell us how, how the best way to access your work is like, what is the best way to do this work? How do we, how do we find out more about you? And then I have one more closing question. Um, well, my website is either bonnieharris.com or connectiveparenting.com. And we will link that in the show notes. Both take you to the same place. And <clears throat> you, can, you can order my, my, I have two books. You can order them from my website that links you to Amazon or me. And um, you can download uh, the Buttons workbook, which is very cheap. And I also have my full eight week that I have done locally with, you know, when I, when I teach in a room with a bunch of parents, it's an eight week course. And that is all available as an audio that I did on the phone with parents from several different countries, all in the, in our virtual group. Oh, great. When you can, when you buy that audio, it comes with the download of the workbook and then, and you print that out and follow along with the people on the call while you are doing your own work in the workbook. It also comes with two half price sessions with me. And I also counsel parents Anywhere, as long as our time zones hook up, um, you know, Skype, FaceTime, Zoom, anything. And, um, and I 
can work with you through this. I can work with you on whatever particular situation you're dealing with. And I start with a free half hour consult if you would like to find out whether my work would be what you're looking for. I love that. All right. So we will link all that up in the show notes and hopefully we'll have some people reporting back. <laughs> what, what I love the idea of doing the buttons work myself. Yeah. So um, my last question, just because we talk a lot about meals here and part of my mission is to get people to the dinner table um, as many nights as possible is what's from a parenting perspective. I know that you've talked a lot about this. So what is one strategy you can leave us with? I mean, I feel like a lot of people listening have gotten to the point where um, they're taking good enough care of themselves to, to make sure they're cooking for themselves and not just their kids. <laughs> so we've gotten off of the, you know, the hot dogs and macaroni and cheese loop for sure. Yeah. Um, and that they're giving time and planning in advance and all that kind of stuff so that they really have a rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe a, maybe one strategy for what happens when you sit at the table and are there and okay. my number, sort of one, number one rule at the dinner table, do not talk about food. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> because unless you're all talking about how good something is yep. or how, how you made something, but do not talk about what your child has to eat and how many bites have to be taken. And you're not going to grow big and strong if you don't eat your vegetables. That's why your kids don't want to be at the table. Yes. The table has to be the most fun, engaging, looking forward to time of the day. <clears throat> it's the time when your whole family comes together, play games talk about stuff that the kids are involved in, tell them about what's going on in the world, just have a great time. And think of it as kind of the culmination of the day where everybody comes together and gets to just relax and have fun. Do not worry about table manners. Do not worry about, there's plenty of time for all of that. At the dinner table, just have fun. I love it. Okay, so when do table manners come in? Well, first of all, I think table manners are mostly modeled. Got it. And if, you know, if your kids are eating with their fingers only at age 8 or 9 or 10, then you certainly want to work with them on using utensils. I remember one time my kids were just you know, just laying on the table with their elbows practically out in the middle of the table. And I was never one with table manners. I, just, I mean, my own, yes, but I never were, I never said, all right, this is what you have to do and this is how you have to. Um, and I, this one time I said, guys, why are you just, I don't like you just laying all over the table. And my son said, mom, do you really think this is how we would eat if we were eating with the queen? <laughs> so look, look at how your children eat or find out how they eat at other people's houses. Yes. Because they don't have to have the same kind of manners at home. Yeah, that's interesting. Our thing right now is everyone's so chatty 
that um, were constantly being like, can you just wait and, you know, chew with your mouth closed? <laughs> That's our current table yeah. table battle, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> we've gotten them eating everything. We've gotten them loving dinner. We, you know, we do have dinner, right. every night, but now so we're if like, you can make it silly, you know, yeah. turn it into a game somehow. Yeah. But, and my thing is lately, I'm like, oh, interesting. I wonder, like, it is that button thing. Like, I do think that, you know, these kinds of things can press buttons of like, wait, we were supposed to teach our kids this, you know, or like my grandmother would have been proud of me. Who's not even here anymore. If they actually did this. Oh my God. That's a big button. Yeah. How, what your family dining room table was like meal time. Yeah has all to do with how you are with your kids. And you might be fighting a lot of demons around that one to just let go. Yeah. You know, I always tell people, if you've got a connected family, you've got a messy family. Mm. If you're having connected relationships at the dinner table, it's going to be chaotic and crazy. You're not going to have kids sitting there politely being quiet and taking turns talking and using, you know, keeping their hands and off the table, their arms off the table and all of that. You're going to have kids all over the place. The younger they are, of course. I I have grandkids now. And (laughs) when I go to my son's house for dinner, it's, it's fun. It's exhausting, but it's, everybody's enjoying themselves. You I know? love that. When they're not, when somebody is interfering, then you, then you can ask them, you know, either your choice is to be here with us or you can go in the other room and do that. You know, something like that. You don't want your kids destroying the time that other, the good time that other people are having. Right. By, you know, throwing things and, you know, you know, I, I certainly would not allow my child to have their feet on the table. You know, right. like that. that a lot of little kids love to do. They love to put their feet up on the table. But, and that can be that agreement work where you're coming yeah. at it. Like, yeah. this is my boundary, right? That's a boundary that you get to have, which we're allowed to have boundaries. Right. And, and how can we make, how can we make that happen? Can you put your foot up at three o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> this doesn't work for me. Exactly. This is not okay with me. Exactly. And the thing that's so interesting about all this work, and then I know I have to let you go, is that I, I feel like I set, I, I see, I'm, it's just as we're talking and I see where I still need to do work, I realize that a lot of it has to do with what I think other people are perceiving about us, oh, right? Boy. Which is always the case of, you know, as you're feeding yourself better food, you don't sort of fit into the standard American situation. Or if you're doing work in a different way, because you're an entrepreneur, you don't quite fit into the standard, you know, American corporate situation or stay at home mom situation. And so I feel like we probably have a lot of people listening who have, you know, everyone's trying to up level and then you don't quite fit the mold. And that can be you know, I feel like that can be hard as, you know, grandparents walk in the door or you're at the grocery store and people are watching or, you know. So the, the approval button is exactly. one, one of the eight buttons that I talk about in my book. Oh, I love that. The approval button is huge. Yeah. What, are other, what, are, what do other people think of me? And that is, and that I believe comes primarily from us being brought up to be 
how our parents wanted us to appear to other people. Yeah. So important to them. And that just goes around and around and around, you know? So we learn from the get-go that we have to be a certain way so that other people will approve of us. And when our acceptance is conditional, that's all about, I will be approved if I do this, if I am this way, right? Right. And then we put that right back on our kids. So interesting. Exactly. And so the acceptance piece is really letting our kids be who they are and making sure our relationship works. So I can say, I don't like that, but it's letting them be who they are. So they're not frantic about what other people think of them and how they have to be and how they have to change and yeah, and you can see how that is so, it's so critical to have to do that work, obviously, yourself before you can let the next yeah. person do it. So, <laughs> yeah. But that. you can also share your stories with your kids. Too. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for your time. I feel like I could have had an eight hour podcast conversation with you. So maybe <laughs> we'll have to get you back on someday. We'll do it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But thank you so much. I hope everyone has a little tidbit they can take away today. And th- so thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Mia. At the end of every episode, we dish out three doable changes. So you can take what you've heard, what you've been inspired to do and put it into action. Now, the idea behind these doable changes is not that you go out and try to do everything all at once. It is really that you pick one, the one that really resonates with you today. You commit to it for a week, you play with it, you put things into your calendar related to it, and you really try to make it yours. And then you can move on to the next one or hear one in a future episode, but one thing at a time. All right, here are the three from this episode. Number one, pay attention and play detective. Start by simply paying attention to how you react during the day. Note what you did. Maybe you yelled at your kids. Notice how you were feeling. Try to figure out what you were thinking. What buttons were your kids pushing? And I highly recommend keeping a journal as you start uncovering these things, just so you can remember. And it's part of the detective game, right? Taking notes. Okay, doable change number two, prioritize self-care. Bonnie reminds us that self-care is as essential as giving your kids a nutritious meal. It's part of what we have to do to be good parents. Think about what really nourishes you. It could be work. It could be having adult conversations. It could be spending time alone outside, going on a walk. It could be getting a pedicure. It could be meditating, but it doesn't have to be something that sounds like self-care. So a pedicure sounds like self-care and that might be just what you need, but it doesn't have to be that obvious. It has to be something that you're doing just for you and feels really good. All right. Doable change number three, make the dinner table fun. I love this one. Have no talking about food as a rule. I think this is most important with little ones or younger kids. You give positive feedback like this is delicious or explain how you made it or where you got it if that matters. That's the level of talk you can do about food, but no complaining 
or whining about what it is. I think that would be the kids doing that. So this is just sort of the thing you have. Like you can't complain about the food at the dinner table. And no badgering kids to take a certain number of bites. So this is a two a two-way rule, right? So they can't complain and you can't badger about cleaning a plate, finishing everything. That's not what the dinner table conversation is about. Instead, we can try modeling manners instead of nagging. It feels so much better. Try a game or a family question or something else to keep the dinner table a place that you really want to be. And this one has been so huge in my family. So I really do recommend playing around with it. I'm going to link up to some past episodes in the show notes because we've had some people who have some great ideas about what to do at the dinner table. If you're not talking about food, there's all sorts of things you can do. And one of my favorite is actually the thorn in the rose, which definitely works better to introduce as with elementary or younger kids. But I have to admit my kids, middle school and high school, two of them will still do this, the thorn in the rose um, on a regular basis because it's something that they remember from when they were little. And that's just really sharing the good and the bad from your day. And I find that the dinner table is really a place that can open us up. So again, the three doable changes are pay attention and play detective, prioritize self-care, and make the dinner table fun. And I will see you guys on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. And we will be diving into more parenting techniques on that episode. So I'll see you then. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple Podcast. If you loved what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give is to share the podcast with a friend. And if you really loved what you heard, if you want to go onto iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review, that really helps us get the best guests we can and improve the podcast so that we're serving up exactly what you want to hear. I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Bye for now.